and everything in between. Call us now at 515-605-9738. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Nursing Nation. And now, let's push off for some highlights. with you for the inaugural episode of Hot Laughs here on the Dirt Scene Radio Network from a somewhat balmy 55-degree day here in Fort Wayne, Indiana. How's things for you over in Illinois? Well, uh, it's not too bad over here. Last night, we did get some big storms through here, so all day we've been trying to work electrical issues and all that, so just trying to figure out if we're going to be able to do this tonight, but here we are. I was going to say, you were a little nervous about uh, noon today as far as whether or not we were going to be able to get this thing off the ground. Yeah, at, at noon today, I was panicking, throwing in the towel, and then our electrical company came, fixed everything. So here we are for our first episode of Hot Laps on the Dirt Scene Radio Network. It's good to be with you, and we got an action-packed show over the next 60 minutes indeed. And what a way to kick off the season we had last weekend down as far as uh, Florida Speed Weeks, both Volusia Speedway Park for the World of Outlaws Craftsman Sprint Car Series, as well as the World of Outlaws Craftsman Late Model Series, and the action I was part of up north at Ocala Bubble Raceway Park in Ocala, Florida with the USAC AMSO Sprint Car National Championship. So, got an action-packed show for you here this evening here on the Dirt Scene Radio Network. Coming up in segment number two, make sure you give us a call in. That's, that's going to be the neat thing apart this, Jimmy, is we've actually got this set up where it can be a call-in-based format show. Make sure you give us a call. The call-in line is 515-605-9378. Once again, 515-605-9738 is the call-in line. Make sure you give us a ring in segment number two. And before we really get too much further into the show, I do want to go into something really quick. We learned the sad news late last night of the passing of one of the great men that was involved in sprint car racing and the likes of Greg Staub. Greg was famous for the number 44 that he raced across the Indiana and the Midwest sprint car scene for many, many years. Served for a long time, actually, as the promoter at Lawrenceburg Speedway, the old fairground setup. So before we go any further into that, I do want to give a a little bit of a condolences to the Staub family for the passing of Greg, and he will indeed definitely be missed across the Indiana sprint car scene. And, man, it was good still to see the, that car in action last week down at Ocala with the likes of Jill Lagori behind the wheel and just an overall ambassador of the sport in general, and it's really going to be sad to see him gone. Yeah, he was I, – I didn't know a whole lot about him, but from what I understand, he was a race car driver, so whenever we lose one of our own, it always, it always hits hit, – really hits home. Definitely going to be missed indeed. So one of the other big things that was brought up here not that long ago that I keep seeing that we really don't like to see too much in motorsports is coming out of the Angel Park, Wisconsin region, where apparently the neighbors aren't too happy with what's going on as far as the noise around the neighborhood. And I know this is something that gets you up on the wheel immediately. Yeah, it's uh... – I seen it today on Twitter. I think um, I th- it might have been on Angel Park Speedway's Twitter Twitter account. They were talking about how the the neighbors around the area in there are now complaining to the city to the city hall about the noise that apparently happens on Sunday afternoons, and they're talking about all the different all the different options whether we do it on a race doing it on a Sunday race and everybody's complaining about it racing till eleven o'clock at night. So on mo- on some Sundays, the noise is just too loud. Uh, parents can't put their babies to sleep, and they're the the probably the disturbing part about it was seeing in the news, seeing in the uh, feed there was just people com- people saying that the track needs to be shut down. They would not they would not miss the track at all. That was a, for a track that's been there for over a hundred years for midget racing to just say, hey, let's just shut it down. That, that's people that don't understand the sport. Well, and the bad part about that, too, is, and I know this is a common complaint across the the sport in general, is, you know, the racetrack was there first, and how everybody can come in and move that close to the racetrack and think that the noise wasn't going to be that big of a problem, it's a racetrack. It's no different than anybody moving next to an airport and then wanting to complain about the noise. If you know it's there to begin with, you shouldn't move to it to begin with, because if you know that it's there, you know it's going to do something during the season. Don't move in and expect that, well, just because they were here first, they don't have any ground to stand on. That's my biggest problem with this, and it's happened to a lot of racetracks. Um, Kalamazoo Speedway up in Michigan fought this not that long ago with the uh, the city township. Yes, it's a payment track, but they found, they fought this as well, and 
this is one of the rare occasions where the track won overall because they showed how much the economic importance is as far as, you know, how many people come in from out of town and how much the track does to benefit the local economy. So I'm hoping for the folks up at Angel Park that they'll be able to play that angle as well and bring up, look, this is what this place can do. It brings in, you know, people from out of town to see what we have to offer. They're spending money in our community. And without the racetrack there, that influence of money kind of goes by the wayside. Exactly. I mean, you're, I mean, you look at, let's, 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 let's go, let's go big scale here for economics of economics of having a race. Let's look at the shootout or the the Tulsa shootout of the chili bowl. More importantly, it brings the, the chili bowl brings over a million dollars into the economy. I I actually think it's a couple million dollars into the economy there, there, the, in Tulsa for the chili bowl. Granted, that's just one race, one very, one very fast, one very big facet of of the sport but you look at these you look at these weekly sh- at these weekly racetracks here in illinois we have jacksonville i know earlier this season they were having they were having noise complaints about the show not getting in not getting in in time and it's just it it pains me to see this i mean you're you can't move a racetrack but you can't stop people from building houses around the racetrack i get that progress is progress but I still think, and I completely agree, the economic impact that it brings into local communities is something that we can really strive for. And yeah, there's cases like you have various sanctioning bodies that have put in muffler rules that are R&D trying to make the show a little bit quieter for the neighbors so that you don't fight this problem. But that also being said, the racetrack should be proactive on this, not only focusing on the positives, but also admit, okay, maybe we are running a little bit too late as far as the show goes. Maybe our cars are a little too loud. So you got options there. I mean, you can look as far as going toward trying to look at some form of muffler rule to quiet the show down. And then also as far as the length of the show, you need to sit back and examine, why are we going to 11 o'clock on a Sunday night? Why are we running so late? Obviously, if you're going that late on a Sunday show, you got to possibly some flaws in your program because everybody keeps talking about how across the sport in general, we need to get done a whole lot earlier. That's the biggest complaint everywhere Anybody goes is the shows are too long. There's too many divisions and it's going way too late. And our kids, we have to take home and get them to bed before they get a chance to get home and see the main show. And if we want to continue to build fans for the future, the key is going to be everybody figuring out how to get shows ran more effectively and over with earlier. Not everybody wants to be at the racetrack till two in the morning. Exactly. And if anybody else, anybody else out there listening has any opinion on this or thoughts on it, give us a call at 515-605-9738. Uh, get, tell tell us what you think. What uh, how 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 close are you to your racetrack? What's uh, another, th- another thing that uh, you said talking about the noise complaints, putting mufflers on the cars? Probably one of the biggest, probably one of the most unique dampeners for the noise that I've ever seen is over in Missouri with Power Ice here as we go over to the Grain Grain Valley Speedway, and that is literally right in the middle of town. There is no, there is you can't. You can't get out to the to the outskirts of town with this racetrack. It's right there, houses all around it. They actually took tractor trailers and stacked them, took took the took the bottoms at them out of them, stacked them on top of each other, and you go down there, and all of turn three and four is nothing but trailers stacked on top of each other. It it kind of looks like a junkyard in a way for the so like old school Manzanita. Yes, yes, ex- exactly like Manzanita. It's. Uh, I don't know if it helps. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. But it's. It's one of the unique ways I've seen them try to get. Try to hold down the noise at these racetracks. You've never been to Montpelier before, have you? Here in Indiana. Uh, no, I haven't. I have not. Mont- Montpelier is very much the same aspect. Where you're literally in your. I hate to say it this way. Your stereotypical small town Indiana town. But you drive literally into the town of Montpelier at the gas station, and then you have two two lines of streets that have houses on them. And at the very end of both streets is where the racetrack sits. And last year during the midget, the first round of Indiana Midget Week for the USAC Series, they were literally having to bus people in, and people were walking from their houses over to the racetrack because the crowd was so big, and they were having to funnel and bus people in from down down the street to get to the racetrack. That's how large the crowd was. So. The racetrack, as far as in a city setting and in a small town setting, can work, but 
tracks have to be proactive as far as how well they work with the communities. And that's where I think a lot of places need to go with this. So it can work in a city setting. It can work in a housing setting. But everybody's got to be willing to play nice. And you can't completely stick your heels in the sand. We're not going to budge. We were here first. Be proactive. Help work with the community and go from there. I got nothing more to say on that subject. That is that that pretty much puts the exclamation point on it. I left you speechless, and it only and it only took ten minutes to get you that far. I'm actually impressed. <laughs> I thought for sure there was going to be something else on that, but uh, I mean, we've seen enough cases this in the last couple of years where we've seen racetracks fall by the wayside, and we know that short track racing has had its problems of tracks going away. So anything that we can do to keep the doors open and continuing to have the sport grow and let people come enjoy it. We need to take the necessary steps necessary to let that happen. Another exclamation point. I love it. You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm getting, I'm, I'm looking down here through our, uh, through our list of stuff we want to talk about, and I'm, I'm seeing Florida on there. You just I'm want to seeing... enjoy the sunshine again. That's all you're mainly thinking about. Yes. You went to uh, the snowstorm yesterday, and I possibly got some snow coming here my way in about two days, so you're immediately thinking about the sunshine is what you got. Exactly. Hey, you got to remember, that snow's going to hit me before it hits you. Well, yeah, you're out in the middle of nowhere. I get it, you know, after it comes barreling through the plains, and it's got to cross a couple of hills before it gets to me. Exactly. Uh, first off, before we get too far into the show, I need to give a big, big shout-out to Haley Pratt at HP, Desi- at HP Creative for our awesome logos, our uh, dirt scene, our dirt scene radio network logo, our dirt scene logo, and our hot laps with Jimmy and Mac logo. Uh, if you need a website design, anything, I mean, ba- I'm I'm a I'm a race I'm a dumb race car driver, and I have no no uh, ideas for design. Video videographer, race car driver, and I have no ideas for design. So I call we call up Haley and say, Hey, this is what I want. I got no idea what I want it to look like make it look make it look something good and she did an uh, outstanding job with that you know, and I you know get, on, what's that i was just gonna say after you're done i got something else i want to thank too on uh, get, if you need to just put a put a button on this if you need to get a hold of get a hold of hp creative on facebook Haley pratt's her name she does an awesome job with all that and before we get too into it as well i'm gonna go ahead and give a big shout out to our, our uh, voiceover slash studio slash voice of God guy that did our intro for us, Trent Nielsen, a longtime friend of mine, actually did the intros for my old show, Speed Talk, that aired here in Fort Wayne, as well as when we were in college, when we were doing college basketball for the old Indiana Tech Sports Network. So that big shout-out thank you goes out to my friend Trent Nielsen, and I know Troby's listening. Once again, thanks, brother. You've been a real asset to it. And Probably going to have some more more of those made here in the future, so keep your keep your sound equipment handy and make sure you stole it all out of your mom's house yesterday when you went to go get it all. <laughs> it pays to have friends. Remember that. Yes, especially guys that can do sound for us for us radio guys. All right, since you definitely want to get into Florida, what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and step aside. We're going to take our first commercial break, and when we come back, we'll divulge into what was the Dirt Car Fall Nationals at Volusia Speedway Park and recap everything that went on with the All-Star Circuit of Champions and the World of Outlaws Craftsman Sprint Car Series. You're listening to Hot Laps with Jimmy Mack on the Dirt Scene Radio Network. From its humble beginnings in Lakeville, Indiana in 1957, Hoosier Racing Tires have become the premier race tire used by champions all over the United States and in 86 different countries. The different types of racing tires they have include tires for dragsters, road racing, oval track dirt, oval track asphalt, carts, quarter midgets, ATVs, pro street, and much more. So if you promote a racetrack, own a racing series, or just want the best tire made for your style of racing, Hoosier is the only race tire manufacturer you'll ever need. Go check them out at HoosierTire.com. Tires designed for champions. We asked a DIYer to tell the difference between a beaker of new Valvoline motor oil and one with Valvoline Next Gen with recycled oil. They look the same. Both exceed industry specs. Still can't tell. Okay, one's better for the environment. Not helpful. Next Gen oil is better than new oil. Used oil actually starts off better than crude and goes through the same refining process. Then it's improved with our special additives for the same Valvoline protection. And because it uses less resources, it's better than new oil. Valvoline Next Gen. With 50% recycled oil, it's better than new oil. Looking for a high performance? When you want high performance, there's only one place to go. Jags.com. Jags 
Automotive.com has the largest selection of high-performance automotive parts on the web. When you need high-performance, Jags.com has the part you want, when you want it. Want performance? You got it. Jags! And welcome back to Hot... And welcome back to Hot Laps here on the Dirt Scene Radio Network. Michael McIntyre, Jimmy Miller, glad to be with you for episode number one of our little experiment slash the coming out of retirement I had with radio. You know, I totally blame you for this, right? That's okay. You can, I needed, I needed somebody that knows radio and can definitely so you carry. The guy that you, so, you, so you called the guy that worked in radio for the better part of the last four or five years. I still blame you. That's okay. You can blame me. I needed somebody that can uh, do radio and can carry my butt whenever I'm not, uh, whenever I get, fl- I get flubbed up here. So, but uh, I, Mac, we have our first caller here. Let's. Uh... Hello, you're on. You're on Hot Laps with Jimmy and Mac. What's your name? Where are you from? Uh, this is Greg Hardy, and it's from Decatur, Illinois. Greg, Greg Hardy. The, the legendary Greg Hardy. The, the legendary Facebook Greg Hardy. Is the Facebook aficionado. I was going to say, the Greg Hardy that is the unofficial liaison for the Silver Crown Series on Facebook. It's good to have you on the show. Yeah. I, I just want to say say uh, good luck to you guys. And so far, it sounds, it sounds good. I mean, you stumped Jimmy a couple times already, so you're doing good. Well, it's not that hard. I mean, he even admits that himself he's going to have a couple clubs during this, so we'll get him broken in by about show number six during the year. As long as he's, as long as he's in good shape for Illinois Speed Week, he's going to be fine. Oh, well, yeah, we're yeah. good for, we're good for Illinois Speed Week. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I just wanted to call and say hi. Well, we appreciate it. You got the you got the uh, silver crown car ready to go to Terre Haute here in a couple of weeks. We we've got uh, we got two of them actually, and uh, one of them is one of them's ready to go, and then the other car is uh, three quarters of the way. So, gonna have Shane in the in the main car, and then uh, new newcomer David Shane driving the second car. He's a UMP modified guy, but I think he'll do just fine. Now, it's good that you're bringing some new talent. It's good that you're bringing some new talent into the Silvercron series and having a second car, which is really good to see because we had you know close to 40 cars for the mile races this year, and I'm hoping Terre Haute's just as strong. Actually, actually, I kind of made a count earlier, and uh, Spridge and I kind of talked about it, and I came up with 53 cars total. So we might do even do even better than that. So yeah, I 50. think there's a lot of good talent coming, and, and things are looking exciting this year. I'm. I've been uh, since since I talked to Amber earlier. Everything's been I've been really excited for this year. I think it's going to be really cool. Fifty three cars at Terre Haute. That would be that'd be phenomenal. Well, realistically, I I believe realistically, I think that there'll be around thirty to thirty five cars at Terre Haute. Um, You go to the miles. I think that's where we're going to be getting the, the really big car counts and. It's it's scary. I didn't realize so many cars were were gone. I mean, even the cars that I that I had not heard about, a lot of those cars have been sold. So things are looking good. I mean, that I can't, I can't believe how how I mean how things have, have gone over the last couple of years, and it just seems to be getting better. You're talking so. about the resurgence in the car count, and talking about how there's possibly 53 cars. With that many coming back for the dirt races in many sense and the future of the series, is the stumbling block still with guys getting to build on the pavement cars where they can be strong on the pavement aspect as well? Because I love the fact that we've got 53 dirt cars, but I'd still love to see it still be strong for some of the pavement races. What do you think the stumbling block is? Well, I, I tell you what, I think I think between – I, I think that the, the pavement side is getting getting much stronger. Um, it seems like over the winter, all uh, I mean, not all of them, but many, many of the of the pavement cars were sold. And to be honest, at first I was kind of skeptical about the whole deal with with going to Phoenix because of the distance. But but I think it's going to go over well. Um, my my opinion of it's kind of changed, and I, and I think that I think we're going to have a good car count. And it seems like there's a lot of new cars being built and. People are giving it a chance, um, and I think USAC's working really hard on it. And I, th- I think that it, I think it's going to turn around and, and be be okay. Um, and I, not only the dirt side, but I think the pavement side seems to be doing good this year as well. So, as far as the whole the whole series, it seems to be good doing good. 
What's uh, Greg? We're back. I'm back here. So uh, going into uh, Terre Haute, I know I, I I get to say we because I'm the I'm. I want to say I'm the official videographer for the Hardy Boys race team, Silver Crown you race can team. Full, you can you can full disclose here. It's okay. You're allowed. Okay. Yeah, we'll we'll pull that. Yeah. What? Uh, uh, two years ago, we were able to win that win that show. Uh, being being this year, they it's back on a Sunday like it was last year. What do you think? You think we can do it again this year? I tell you one thing. Uh, old old uh, Marianne, she she hates the black slick, so I'm hoping that. Uh, I'm hoping that the, the the wind lays down a little bit, and it help. The, I think the wind is the biggest factor. Wind and moisture in the track is so that car we got. It, it's won like half of the races the last five or six years there. But if it's black slick, I mean, it's kind of hard to hard hard to tell. But we got Donnie Gentry back as the crew as the crew chief on the car, so I think I think we're going to look good. We're going to go have some fun, and we're, we need to get back to doing that this year. You're talking as far as Terre Haute being the season over, coming up with the Sumar Classic. I believe that's April 2nd at the Vigo County Wabash Valley Fairgrounds in Terre Haute, Indiana. What are you thinking for the rest of the year? Are you thinking you got a chance to make a run at the uh, Silver Crown title this championship season? Uh, I don't think so. We sold our pavement car, so without without having the pavement car, I don't think so. But uh, I think there's going to be a lot of tough guys running for, for the championship. I'm hearing rumors of uh, – uh, Damian Gardner running for the championship with, with uh, Terry Klatt and Bobby East. And, um, you know, well, obviously with Jerry Coons Jr. and, and guys like uh, him and, and uh, Chris Windham and Cody Swanson, it's it's a who's who. And who knows who's gonna got a chance. I mean, it, 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 it's unreal. It's in the talent that's in the series right now. And any race you go to, who knows gonna, who's going to win because it's any given day. It's, and that's great. Uh, well, Greg, thanks for calling in here to Hot Lap. Oh, sorry, sorry about that, Greg. No, it's fine. I I think we're we're, we're going to focus on going and, and having some fun and trying. We're going to spend sweep the miles this year and you know six six races on the dirt and we're going to try and try and give them hell. It'll be it'll be a good time. Well, Greg, we wish you the best of luck for the Silver Crown campaign this season for when we do get to see you and see you at Terre Haute. Best of luck. Thank you, sir, and uh, good luck to you guys. And uh, talk to you soon. Thanks for calling in, Greg. All right. See you, Jimmy. Greg Hardy, Hardy Boys Racing Team. Longtime campaigners on the USAC Silver Crown Series. Looking forward to seeing them at the Sumar Classic at the Terre Haute Action Track on the Wabash Valley Fairgrounds in historic Vigo County. Going to turn our attention finally now to what happened at the events of the Dirt Car Nationals down in Florida with both the Articat All-Star Circuit of Champions and the World of Outlaws Craftsman Sprint Cars. Yeah, it was uh, from it. This, this is what I love about Florida is basically when you go to Florida, you get to, for me here in Illinois, you get to watch everything on the live streams, whether it be Dirt Vision with the World of Outlaws, Speed Shift for USAC. Uh, I can't think of the other one, but that's that's one of the nice things. Watching, there's nothing cooler than watching uh, Kyle Larson charge from 19th. Up to second with Donnie Shots there at Volu- or there at Volusia on the fr- on the Thursday night of the All Star race. That was just that was an amazing it was an amazing run. Were you were you able to watch it, Mac? I didn't get a chance to see that one. I was still getting packed before I was getting ready to leave for Ocala myself. Yeah, the uh, from what I they w- kind of go back and recap the winners with the all-star circuit of champions at Bubba raceway park Thursday and Friday night winner, Donnie shots, Donnie there at the last, the last laps, either Thursday or Friday. It's been a while. I can't remember exactly, but either Thursday or Friday, Donnie shots was running third leader blows a tire and he somehow gets into the lead, wins the race. Does it in does Donnie shots things. I mean, the guy is an absolute machine. One Thursday, Friday, Kerry Madsen picking up the Saturday night win at Bubba Raceway Park with the All-Star Circuit of Champions. That's uh, That kind of wraps up the All-Stars down there. Before, they, before everybody went to Volusia, uh, the Wednesday, Wednesday night winner with the All-Stars was Donnie Schatz. Again, three out of four nights with the All-Stars in Florida. I mean, that's is that dominance or, or what? 
That's, I was getting to the point where I know Donnie's Donnie's definitely going to be back for chasing another World of Outlaws Craftsman Sprint Car Series championship, but with the way Donnie was already performing with the start of the the All Star Series, he may want to think about you know trying to see you know, Well, I could technically run for that championship right now, but either way, I'm thinking Donnie's looking like he's going to be the man to beat yet again this year. Yeah, I mean, I see now. Did Did you see that his Twitter feed? I believe it was yesterday, of him lifting the weights. He had a he had a bar. I can't. I can't. It, I. I can, my wife. My wife's a PT. She's gonna kick my butt for not knowing what it is. The uh, the bar you put on your back and you go down and do squats with dumbbell bar. Let's call it a dumbbell bar. Had maybe ten pounds on it and just talking about Donnie shots getting ready for these races. I mean, the guy is just a machine. And you, you wouldn't. Can't, I mean, if you've ever stood next to Donnie shots, you wouldn't think of him as basically gorilla in a fire suit for the fact that I think he's all about five, 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 six. I think he's about my height, but for how strong he is from behind the wheel and how aggressive guys like this are from behind the wheel. Oh, you, you've had experience with this. The first time you strapped in a midget, you're in pretty decent physical shape, but think about basically doubling the horsepower with that and add on top of that, he's doing it 120 nights a year, including the full outlaw schedule when he gets to go cherry pick with the all-stars and from when, you know, these guys take off to go run an independent Knoxville show or when they go to Australia during the, during the summer. So think about just the physical physique it takes for these guys to run that many nights a year behind a sprint car. You're winded after one time in the midget. Oh yeah. After the, after the first time in in a midget from going from, from the micros to the midget, I I'll be, I'll admit I was dead. I was, I mean, granted, we also flipped that night, so it wasn't a, it wasn't a very good night. But I was you got welcomed to the club. Yeah, we definitely got welcomed in that night to the club. We're definitely looking forward to start getting with the power eye season out it out in our midget and videoing and vidding with the series. But yeah, the the physical the physical and the mental game of driving a bigger car like that is just made from my own from my from my from the eight laps I have in one in race conditions. It was amazing. It was. I can't imagine that many nights in the world of outlaws having to stay, having to stay in shape all the time. And and you got to think too, Donnie Shots he has an advantage on the rest of the field. He's not staying in the Toter home every week. He's not he's not moteling it. He's flying back and forth to these races. I mean that's got to help. Hey, you're not taking near as much wear and wear and tear as you know everybody else is as far as being on the road, which. More power, too, if you can pull it off as far as flying to the racetrack, because you and I both know from going up and down the road that every now and then you start to look at the calendar and you start looking at the roadmap and you have that realization of, where am I at again? <laughs> yeah, after uh, – and then there's some racetracks yeah, – I mean, with with our videography prof- profession, the uh, – I know – call professionals. Going, I'm flattered with that. Yeah, well, we get paid. The, uh, That's true. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, – it after you go to the after you go to a racetrack for the fourth or fifth time a year, you're like, man, I'm tired of this racetrack. But I mean, you got to look at like the World of Outlaws. They're going to I I I, I don't know the amount of race tr- race tracks they go to, but a lot of racetracks throughout the year. And Florida would just Florida kicking all that off. Let's kind of go back in go back into the recap there. World of Outlaws winner Friday night at Volusia, Jason Johnson. That was I don't want to say it's a. Sur- it- I mean, it didn't it was surprise a, me, but it, it was... It was an upset, but it wasn't, because you can't really say that it's an upset when he's your defending Knoxville Nationals champion. Yeah, exactly. And and just, and just I got I to gotta throw this in there. For me, they're at the Knoxville Nationals shooting for the cushion. It was just... it was a, You could not imagine the deafening roar of that place when the, white, when the checkered flag flew, and here is... And here is uh, here's Jason Johnson taking the checkers over Donnie Shots. I mean, com- coming into Knoxville this year, I I bet he's I, Donnie's still going to be there, but he's going to be one that he's going to be right there too. But to see him win down down there at Florida, him and Shots pretty much dominate Volusia with the World Outlaws. I think I think Jason Johnson, you're going to see him getting he's he's getting to that level. Not to say that he's not already quite there, but he's I think he's I think he's the next one to come up. I think he's the next one to come up and battle shots now that we lost Bell and Rico and and uh, other than one night in Volusia Larson. I was going to say you think you think for as far as the way that shots has dominated the series for the better part of the last 15 years or so, 
you thinking Jason Johnson's the, the solid choice to come up and take a shot at him as far as the national championship or who else, who else stood, stood out, stood out to you as far as down there during the week? I mean, there was so some other pretty stiff talent down there. Yeah, I would say, I would say Jason Johnson right now would be my pick to, he's the next, I don't want to say heir to the throne, but he's, he's the next one to really challenge Donnie or I could totally be wrong. And, and Donnie just, you know, hits, hits fifth gear out there and just, walks away from him now well the telltale sign is they're in vegas this weekend which everybody says this is kind of where we start to see who's starting to flex their muscles because we start seeing some different tracks they got rained out one of their shows last weekend down in texas but now they head to vegas for a two-night show and then kind of the race is on from there and then we really start getting into the months of april and may where you start getting the midweek race schedule where the wear and tear on the body starts to kick in, where you're not just running one or two nights a week. You're starting to start bang out four and five races in a seven-day span. Yeah, it's uh, – I mean, and the cl- probably the closest thing we got around here would be our Indiana Midget Week and Illinois Speed Week with the with Power Eye and USAC. I mean, that's about the closest thing we come to around here to what the World of Outlaws do. That's true, so – Definitely was fun to see everything that was going on down in Florida as far as the Word of Outlaws and the All-Star Circuit of Champions. We're going to take another break, and when we come back, we'll take the wings off and head about an hour and a half north in the state of Florida, and we'll recap all the action of Winter Dirt Games 8 for the USAC Amsoil Sprint Car National Championship from the Bubba Raceway Park in Ocala, Florida. You're listening to Hot Laps with Jimmy and Mac on the Dirt Scene Radio Network. We asked a DIYer to tell the difference between a beaker of new Valvoline motor oil and one with Valvoline Next Gen with recycled oil. They look the same. Both exceed industry specs. Still can't tell. Okay, one's better for the environment. Not helpful. Next Gen oil is better than new oil. Used oil actually starts off better than crude and goes through the same refining process. Then it's improved with our special additives for the same Valvoline protection. And because it uses less resources, it's better than new oil. Valvoline Next Gen. With 50% recycled oil, it's better than new oil. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back here on Hotlands with Jimmy and Mac. I'm Jimmy. He's Mac. We're here talking all all about basically anything we want to here in the dirt open wheel ra- open wheel racing arena. And uh, we need to we need to tell everybody real quick if uh, you want to call into the show. That number is five one five six zero five nine seven three eight. Mac, you uh, being the sh- be the being the shooter for the USAC uh, for USAC. Uh, the sprint cars opened their season up at Ocala. Can it run me through that? From what I seen on Speed Shift, it was amazing with Dave Darland. Dave Darland up there. That's every time I see him up there, it's amazing. It's awesome. Well, you got you got a lot of new driver and car combinations and a couple of shifts going around in the USAC scene as far as 2017. The big one that everybody's kind of talking about is Brady Bacon's departure out of the Hoffman Dynamic 69. Brady's going to run selected USAC shows this year in the number 63 car that was formerly driven by, by Brian Clawson, but Brady primarily looking at going more wing racing this year and trying to nail down his wing car, wing car career. So that being said, you had a couple of other shakeups with Chad Baseflug going into the Hoffman Dynamics number 69. And then you also have a couple of other ones as far as Max McGee going into the Filthy 4J with his brother Sam McGee helping him on with that. You got Justin Grant also working with those guys. And I got to tell you, Justin Grant's looking like he's the early favorite for the national championship. Yes, Chris Windham started off or ended the year strong, both in Silver Crown and Sprint Cars last year, and still ran strong down in Florida. But everybody right now is saying that Justin Grant's the man to beat, especially since he was kind of the benefactor after Darwin had a engine failure late in the stages of night number one. Darwin was the only one that we were really getting close to him. So Justin Grant picks up night number one of the winter dirt games at Bubba Raceway Park. Well, night one version 2.0, since we got rained out of the first night, since mother nature apparently followed me to Florida when I washed my car. Okay. That's funny <laughs> for about six people. If anybody knows the history of that, it's anytime I wash my car, apparently it makes it rain. So, I have to watch my car spiraling there during racing season. So we lost Thursday night. Everybody regathered up Friday night where Justin Grant took the win. Now, that being said, Justin picked up night number one. Night number two's winner was a shock to some, but really shouldn't have been for how strong they performed throughout the weekend in the likes of Hunter Schoenberg. Hunter brought up in victory lane on night number two. He ha- comes into this season with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. 
because apparently over the last couple of years, because of how he's performed, instead of having the nickname 100%, some people have been giving the knock of he's been about 30% for how they performed. And he stated in victory lane on Saturday night, he's getting tired of being called that because last year they had a big wake-up call as far as when they went wing racing. So they're coming back, they're honing their craft back in the non-wing stuff, and they proven pretty strong that they want to come back with a vengeance in this because they ran really strong on night one as far as where they qualified, and then they came back with a victory in night number two. So don't discount Hunter Schoenberg as far as what he does, does in both wing and non-wing racing this year. So it's going to be a fun chase for the USAC Amsoil Sprint Car National Championship chase. They take a little bit of a break for a month until we all gather at one of my favorite racetracks, Lawrenceburg Speedway in southeast Indiana, just outside of Cincinnati, Ohio, for the, their season opener before we all jet on over to Terre Haute the next day for the USAC Silver Crown opener. I got to I gotta get to Lawrenceburg. That's one of the tracks over there in Indiana I've never been to. I've been to Kokomo a couple times, been to Hobstadt a couple times. Lawrenceburg just looks like from the Indiana Midget Week, from the Indiana Midget Week I've seen there, it just looks like like jet fighters in a gymnasium. It just I it just looks amazing. Now here's the thing with the USAC that or the not the USAC, the Lawrenceburg Speedway that you're looking at now with the high bank three eighths mile that it is, for the enthusiasts that are out there, you would have been amazed at the racing that was put on with the old fairgrounds flat track that used to be at Lawrenceburg before they did the renovation circa about two thousand three, two thousand four when they built the three eighths mile. The quarter mile that raced there raced a lot like it races. It raced a lot like a cross between old Kokomo and new Kokomo and modern Bloomington because you had the real tight confines of a quarter mile, but you still had the semi banking enough to it. But for what Dave Rudisill, Chip Perfect, and the entire crew have done at Lawrenceburg now for building the show palace that it is and the phenomenal racing that it traditionally puts on with both wing racing and non-wing racing, I always look for it's. It's very much a homecoming to me because that was one of my two home tracks as a kid. Like I tell you all the time, I was spoiled because I had Lawrenceburg and Eldora as home tracks as a kid. Yes, you were. You've gotten to go to Knoxville and work at Knoxville, yet you're jealous of me for the fact that Eldora was my home track. I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> I, uh, Yeah, I can. I, I, probably can't, I probably shouldn't tell you this because you're probably going to get jealous again. Just because now you have that on me, now I have to make you a little more well, jealous. No, no, here's the problem. You worked both Knoxville and the Chili Bowl ahead of me, so I you got two nods on me, so you can't completely gloat here. I'm gonna have to though. Okay, uh, here, by here, way. Well, here, here next month we're going to this this little track down east of da- east of Dallas down there, where the World of Outlaws got their started started their first uh, their first race. Uh, Devils You're Devils Bowl. You're going to the Devils Bowl. Huh? Bowl. Yeah, yes, we are going to the bowl. All right. They're uh, they're doing the Dirt Vision Max. They're doing the Dirt Vision Max setup down there. They said, "Hey, would you like to come run a camera?" And I'm like, "I've never been to Texas. Let's go." So you're excited so, about crop? Well, you got Do you have a count on how many racetracks you visited before, or do you need to go back and still make yours? No, I still need to go make that. I never have done that. I'm I'm the guy that's like I. I'll, I'll just I'm the guy that at the end of the season I'm like I'll just go through the schedule and I'll do it then. But the last two seasons since I've been do, since we've been doing this videography thing, it just has not happened. You really got to sit down and count how many because it's the it's kind of the game amongst those that work in the motorsports world of who can see who can get the most shows in every year. Traditionally, Mills always Dean Mills always got the award because he always cleared 100 races every year, kind of with no problem. I know I hit 91 last year and that felt like an awful lot. And Mother Nature kind of wasn't nice early in the season, so I would have cleared 100 too. But I'm I'm thinking that's kind of the magic mark for everybody is 100. But what were you at about last year? Thinking about mid 50s, 60? I'd not even. I'd say maybe maybe 40 if we're lucky. That's yeah, all. I mean, yeah, this year it's probably I, this year it's probably going to be a little less because you know we're, we're I'm racing the midget when when we can. And uh, so it's it's going to be a little less on the on the power eye side of things, but it but it's it's I I would say it's mid thirties, maybe forty, maybe. So if you've got the midget now, when are you going to be brave and get a nine wing sprint car and come play over uh, over in this, this over this side of the border a little more often? You're over in Illinois, and we got a whole lot of good racetracks over in, here in Indiana where you can come play with a sprint car. Uh, I'm good. Um, I know well, I know. Midget once, and you don't want to get hurt again. Yeah, I don't want to get hurt again. That hurt enough, and uh, I'd rather not do that again. I'd rather not ever flip ever in anything ever again because that 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 stuff hurts. And uh, you talking about 
talking about my talking about me racing. We're talking about Hunter Schoenberg there. There, it's kind of it's kind of cool to see Hunter Schoenberg out there winning, still winning, like he always has. I mean, I, I remember racing against him in junior sprints when the NMA was around. I mean, he was even back then he was phenomenal. I mean, Hunter Schoenberg now now in the sprint cars still still winning. He's one of the guys. It's kind of cool to see these guys that I've raced against coming up, just go out there and win still. To me, one of the neatest aspects as far as sprint car racing in general is you have your guys like your Hunter Schoenbergs that were rookies back then that are now developing into veterans and your up-and-coming rising stars like your Max McGee's and your Chase Stockins that have come into the scene as of late. And they still get the chance to prove themselves and they have to learn how to race against the veteran guys like your Dave Darlins. And you're not, and even now your cases where you're Dustin Grant that have been around for a good tenure in the sport. It's the perfect mixture of how everybody needs to learn to race because you have that veteran core that you learned from and how you hone your skills from. And a lot of guys have, you know, moved on since. And a lot of guys have, you know, stayed in sprint car racing and made very good careers. And seeing that mixture of talent as far as that far of a generation gap is what I still think makes this sport so great. Yeah, I can I, I can agree with that. I mean, you got you still have your old get your old guys out there still still up front. You got your young guys still up front. I mean, it's right right now, it's everything is right now everything versus the age the age group. I mean, it's just it just fits perfect. I mean, you have Dave Darlin up up running up front with with Hunter Schoenberg the other night down in Ocala. I mean, I mean after after last year's uh, inter victory lane interviews. Him saying it sure is fun coming out and, and whipping these kids' butts. I mean, that was to me that was sound bite of the year. But that was last year. This year, he, this year he had some some kind of issue with the car. Had to pull had to pull in. Schoenberg was able to get the win, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's really kind of it it's really kind of neat to see all the young guys come up and the and the old guys still there. To me, the other aspect of that too is. If you listen to your guys like your Tony Stewart's, your Ryan Newman's, your Casey Kane's that have graduated up the stock cars or Indy cars, wherever they wound up going, to hear those guys talk about what it was like racing and what they learned against your your old school veterans like your Dave Darlins, like the USAC stars of yesteryear, and what they learned from those guys and what they did to translate them into the future, that just shows you how much skill and how much you do grasp when you're running the non-wing sprint car scene across the Midwest. And I have this debate with a lot of people as far as which part of the country has the best racers. And I still make a strong case for the Midwest because of how many various different types of cars you can run within about an eight state radius, you know, within five, six, five, six hours of each other. And what all you can learn from it. You have your USAC scene where you can run the tracks of Indiana, Illinois, and such. You can go the dirt late model route, which is really big, you know, in the states of Illinois, and it's really picked up in Ohio. If you want to go run a wing car, you can make a real nice career Pennsylvania, Ohio region. You want to go the stock car route, you can run the CRA series on pavement. You can run a lot of different things as well. So the fact of how many drivers have come through the Midwest and have used the Midwest itself on how to learn to race before they advance on just shows you the caliber of talent that comes through here. And the fun part of that too, is looking down toward the junior sprint ranks and the micro sprint ranks and who all is strong at the Tulsa shootout that we see every year is who's going to be the next star. Who is that next shining star that we're waiting to see emerge through it? I, I'm not really, I'm not really, I cannot answer that yet. Because I have I have this argument with a friend of mine. The uh, I don't micro coming up from the micro sprints and going directly into a sprint car historically has not been that has not been very fruitful. I mean, I don't want to mention it. I don't want to mention a thing because he's a very very good micro racer. But see, but. He came up and ran, up, ran a sprint car up here in, in Indiana. Didn't do the best, and there that went. Now he gets in a micro. He's the best. He's one of the best I've ever seen. But the 
talk, you talk about the mid, talk about the Midwest there. I mean, talk about mid, the especially in the micro ranks. You got your Oklahoma drivers, you got your California drivers, you got your Illinois drivers, you got your Pennsylvania drivers. When you move when you move up out of the micro rankings, everybody it, it's it's like it all molds together. When you go when you go up into midgets, when you go up into when you go up into sprint cars, it kind of gets rid of the gets rid of the the stigmatism. Like well, I'm an Oklahoma driver, except for Pennsylvania sprint cars. Well, Pennsylvania sprint car drivers have been in, been kind of the on their own elite scale, for the lack of a better term, for the better part of the last fifty years. And I don't see that changing anytime soon, but. When we come back, make sure uh, give us a call if you got something you want to weigh in before the show is over. With final segment, we come back. Make sure you give us a call, 515-605-9738. Once again, I'll say it wrong because I almost did it again. 515-605-9738 is the call-in line here on Hot Flaps with Jimmy and Mech. When we come back, got another racetrack over in Jimmy's area that we kind of got to, I guess, get the PVC pipes and get the signs made for another racetrack we got to save. It's Hot Laps with Jimmy and Mech on the Dirt Scene Radio Network. From its humble beginnings in Lakeville, Indiana in 1957, Hoosier Racing Tires have become the premier race tire used by champions all over the United States and in 86 different countries. The different types of racing tires they have include tires for dragsters, road racing, oval track dirt, oval track asphalt, carts, quarter midgets, ATVs, pro street, and much more. So if you promote a racetrack, own a racing series, or just want the best tire made for your style of racing, Hoosier is the only race tire manufacturer you'll ever need. Go check them out at HoosierTire.com. Tires designed for champions. Looking for a high performance? When you want high performance, there's only one place to go. Jags.com. Jags.com has the largest selection of high-performance automotive parts on the web. When you need high performance, Jags.com has the part you want. When you want it. Want performance? You got it. Jags. We asked a DIYer to tell the difference between a beaker of new Valvoline motor oil and one with Valvoline Next Gen with recycled oil. They look the same. Both exceed industry specs. Still can't tell. Okay, one's better for the environment. Not helpful. Next Gen oil is better than new oil. Used oil actually starts off better than crude and goes through the same refining process. Then, it's improved with our special additives for the same Valvoline protection. And because it uses less resources, it's better than new oil. Valvoline Next Gen. With 50% recycled oil, it's better than new oil. It's Hot Laps with Jimmy and Mac. Michael McIntyre, Jimmy Miller, here on the Dirt Scene Radio Network. Give us a call, 515-605-9738. Final segment coming at you. Going to shift our attention now down to the midget scene. We've touched on sprint cars. We've even touched on the micro sprint ranks, and we're going to kind of quasi-more from the micros to the sprints. But speaking of micros. Quasi-morph. I like that. Quasi-morph. I'm I'm trademarking that. It's going to be a thing. It's going to be great. <laughs> My Donald Trump impression for the evening, but got a little We're bit made- of, I got to kind of got to say, we got a little bit of drama as far as in the micro sprint world. And it's kind of affecting your backyard directly. Yeah, it's, uh, I believe you're referring to uh, port city down there in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, kind of just closing is from what I, from what I've heard, uh, Aaron lemons, the uh, previous promoter of the track, uh, selling selling the racetrack, uh, I cannot think of the guy's name right now, but the racetrack getting sold and apparently not going to open this year from what I heard on, on uh, Racing Boys the other week whenever Aaron was on that. And, uh, it, I mean, are, Oak, I, have you ever been to Oklahoma, Mac? Uh, never been to Oklahoma, but that's going to change at the end of the month. I'm heading to I-44 Riverside Speedway for the Power Eye opener. So oh I'm, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna get to Oklahoma, but I'm not gonna be where we're talking about. Right, but uh, anyway, the down there that is an absolute hotbed of micro racing. I mean, you have in Tulsa, in I I believe I checked it once in Tulsa within a five block radius. You have Factor One chassis, Sawyer chassis, and now D One, three of the big three of the biggest micro manufacturers, bi- chassis builders. In a in a five block radius in the same town. I mean that's and that's just going to lend to there being way more drivers. I mean it, it was nothing at Port City for us to go there on a 
we went down there and did a live broadcast at the uh, Pete Frazier Memorial once. There was a hundred and seven. There was a hundred and seventy-two race cars there. I mean, there's that's all for yeah. a weekly show. That, that's all. For that's, a weekly... that's nothing to really write home about. <laughs> yeah, for a week for a weekly show, a hundred and seventy-two race cars. That tops I mean, that's... a lot of that tops year-end specials at a lot of places across the country. That's phenomenal for a midweek sh- or for a weeknight show. Yeah, but for, for a weekly yeah, they're. Uh... And there, there is usually two racetracks down there, I-44 and Port City. Now with Port City closing, the, like you said, the Power I season open are going to be at at uh, Oklahoma City now. I mean, with with Port City closing, I don't know what that's going to do to the drivers down there. I mean, it's definitely going to be a hit. I mean, you're, you're, I mean, everybody that ran at Port City, you got your Scott Sawyer, Kevin Bear, Chris Andrews, Frank Flood, Harley Holland. I mean, the some of the best micro drivers to come out of Oklahoma run at Port City. Now that track's going to close. Now the problem you're going to re- start running into is where are these families going to start going if you don't have a racetrack to go to on Saturday night? I mean, granted, you can go to Oklahoma City. That's an hour west of west of Tulsa, maybe an hour and a half. But, uh, I mean, it's, it's definitely a big hit for that region, for that area. So how much money you got? Why? Why? Are we buying a racetrack? I was going to say, you want to buy a racetrack next? We already started a radio show. We got enough video toys. You want to buy a racetrack next? Uh, no, let's uh, let's stick to let's stick to radio. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, what's one more what's one more thing we can possibly get ourselves into while we're at it? But if you, but if there's anybody in that region that needs to buy a racetrack, you got a real good one up for sale. Go outbid the guy that's trying to ruin this for everybody else. Let everybody have still have their Saturday night fun. But we're going to uh, we're going to. We're going to switch switch gears right now. We're going to come back up to my my area here in Illinois. Here on the 18th of this month, we have we are down at DeCoin, Illinois, in the, in the indoor track in the little DeCoin Mile, the uh, Mini Magic Mile for what it's commonly referred to. Mini Magic Mile. I'll get it right one of these days. Uh, we have the midgets down there. That is a, that is a USAC sanctioned Shamrock Classic down there. That is the, or season, the, the showdown. The the pay, the points paying season opener for the USAC Midget National Championship, the second annual Shamrock Classic, promoted by promoted by Lauren Stewart and the United States Auto Club, and was my first visit to the DeCoin State Fairgrounds last year for that event. And I had to take a peek over the wall and see what the, the big track looked like. And I immediately thought to myself, I was like, Yeah, I'm gonna look forward to coming back here come Labor Day weekend. But as much as everybody salivates at the mile itself for the Silver Crown race on Labor Day, the two indoor midget shows that are run both in March and the Junior Canepa race that's ran in December, it's quickly becoming almost another destination weekend for the entire community to kind of bond and to coin for the race. And I'm looking forward to it, especially because I keep hearing that as far as the USAC National Midget Chase, we're looking at close to 20 full-time teams this year. I hope it's, it's, uh, I hope. We'll see. Well, after we had, I think we had like 55 or close to 50 entries for that last year. I'm hearing that the first one's going to be about just as strong. And even with the the ice storm that was for the Knepper race, we still had close to 40 cars. So it's going to be a strong campaign. And what's really nice about the DeCoin race is, yes, it's the season opener for USAC, but you're deep enough into Power Eye territory where your Zach Doms and your Power Eye hot shots still come over and you still kind of get the meeting of the clan. I mean, it's not 300 entries like we see for the chili bowl, but it's still a good way to start the season and have everybody kind of morph together and see, okay, who's got what from the off season. And you get a case like we had like last, uh, last March where you wind up with a winner where everybody thought Brian Clawson was going to be the man to beat and was the favorite. He had trouble going into the feature towards the beginning of the feature. And then you wind up with Shane Dalvik and Victor Olin at the end of it. So Yes, it's conducive for the veterans to go in and run good there, but you still wind up with your rising young stars rising to the top, like we had with Shane Golovic last year, who parlayed that to a pretty good season. Yeah, and and, uh, and uh, last time we were at DeCoin, uh, I can't. We had another driver driver uh, finish in the top three out there. Who was that? You Max. were you were uh, you were uh, you just want a chance for you to gloat about your car finishing inside the top three. That was that was prop. To see the race car that, that I'm going to be in in the top three was a pretty pretty happy moment. 
you, you for, do know the fact IMC. that you know you do know for the fact that Ross Weiss ran the Chili Bowl and Chris Andrews took your car to finish inside the top three. That just kind of sets the bar a little bit higher for you this year. Well, Ross, Ross, and myself, we were discussing it at the Chili Bowl. We both said, "Yeah, well, we both flipped a, I flipped a midget, he flipped a midget, and then he had to one up me and blow a motor." So, I'm I'm hoping he can he can stay ahead of me in that in that regard. <laughs> so you're going out the very first race in Grenada Motor? No, we are not doing that. <laughs> As you say, do not do not end your season this early. Don't don't go boom boom this early in the year. Yeah, we if I do that, we're gonna have to do way more radio shows. Well. As far as you brought up the, the December race, too, that saw the likes of Tyler Courtney going to Victor Lane and Tim Clawson's entry, which they're going to be they're going to be strong again this year. Tyler going to be running a lot more USAC stuff, chasing the Sprint Car Championship this year, and as, as far as also going for the midget title as well. I'm wondering, I'm pondering on this. What are you pondering? With the, ta- with the talent level that's being assembled within the Clawson stable, is this the year that the Keith Coons cars get dethroned. Uh, I want to say, I, I say yes, but, re, but looking at it from an absolutely realistic standpoint, I, I know they can get it done. But in order to get it done, they're going to have to do it on, big, on bigger racetracks. And Toyota has an absolute lock on lock on bigger ra- bigger racetracks. I mean, you you can't beat them. You have to have a Toyota in the midget ranks right now to to win. And the caveat to that is the last race, one of the last races in the midget season. Well, a couple of the big ones in the later part of the midget season is you go run the Belleville Midget Nationals. You go run the Belleville Midget Nationals later in the year, in around mid-August, and then about a month after that, you go head to Eldora. So basically what that caveat is, if you're going to beat the Coons cars or you're going to beat the Toyotas, you're going to have to get up big early on some of the smaller tracks before you go to the big high-bank half-miles later in the year. Yeah, I would agree. I, I would think if a driver could go out there and, and pick up some of, the, some of the wins on some of the smaller tracks, I would think the points battle would be, would be closer than it typically is. Um, but when it comes to motors, I mean, right now you can't, right now you can't beat the Toyotas. I've heard rumors that Esslinger is coming out with a new motor that Tyler, from what I read on Twitter, Tyler Thomas is going to be debuting at, I think, DeCoin, the 18th, uh, their new billet motor. So, uh, we're, I'm, I'm really anxious to see how that works. I, I hope it, I hope it's good. It's going to be really fun for us to get the season started, both with the USAC National Midget season coming up on March the 18th at the Mini Magic Mile at the Southern Illinois Center in DeCoin, Illinois. And then I'll truck all the way back across this part of the country and then go all the way to Oklahoma City coming up the following week for the Power Eye season opener for the Power Eye Lucas Oil National Midget Series coming up at I-44 Riverside Speedway in Oklahoma City before we get the Sprint Car Midwest season started at Lawrenceburg on April 1st. Talking about... uh... Everybody, we want you to tell you we hope you enjoyed our first our first episode of Hot Laps with Jimmy and Mac here on the Dirt Scene Radio Network. Uh, next Tuesday, we're going to be we're we're going to be talking all about Power Eye and uh, the Indiana season uh, preview with the non-wing sprint cars, um, and uh, just figure out what goes from there. Everybody, uh, we hope you enjoyed this show. Mac, you got anything else? Just want to say big thanks, Seth, again for Haley Pratt for giving us the sweet logo and also Trent Nielsen for the sweet intro as well. Once again, next week, make sure you give us a shout. Call online will be the same, 515-605-9378. We really appreciate you listening here to Hot Laps on the Dirt Scene Radio Network. He's Jimmy Miller. I'm Michael McIntyre. Racer Max says thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. White flag, one more.